well, our new 30-minute online service. Drawing near to God in prayer. Worshipping Him together. Sharing stories of encounters with Him. Listening to God's Word. And space to ask the bigger questions of life and faith. Hi there, welcome to Dwell, our new 30-minute online service where we're seeking to draw near to God right where we are, to worship Him together, to share stories of encounters with Him, uh, to listen to His Word, His voice, uh, and to ask the big questions of life and faith. So really, really glad that you're with us for the start of this journey, whether you're new to us as a church or a channel, or new to church generally, it's great that you're here. Uh, we're so glad you're with us. We're going to start by drawing near to God and we're going to use the words of an ancient prayer, an ancient song, Psalm 139. And the psalmist is just in awe, he's just in a moment of wonder at the gift of life and that turns into praise. So allow these words to inspire you, uh, to cause you to reflect and to draw you uh, into the God who made you and the God who holds you. And then we're going to come with a song of worship together. You had searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue. You loved it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, 
Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting.
with every breath that I am able. Lord, inspire us, we pray. You who breathed the breath of life into our lungs, who is worthy of every breath. You who gave your last breath for us there on the cross to rescue and ransom us. And you who breathe on us in the power of your Holy Spirit, enable and inspire, encounter and encourage us tonight, we pray. And lead us into you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things we're really keen to do at Dwell is to share stories of encounter. And I'm really grateful to Bethany, who's sharing her story with us now. When John asked me to think um, of an encounter that I'd had with God during um, lockdown, my mind immediately went to um, the week leading up to um, Matt and I's wedding. So it was already a pretty chaotic week with lots of bits and bobs to sort out before the wedding. Um, but it was just made that more trickier with the fact that I was finishing my teacher training course the day before the wedding, which definitely wasn't the best timing on my part. Um, I'd also secured a job, which was amazing, um, but this just meant that I was having to go into the school, get to know the staff that I'd be working with, get to know the children and do some prep for that. Um, so that took place in the same week as well. Uh, Matt and I had also managed to get um, a flat together, which again was amazing, um, but that just meant that we were having to make sure it was all ready um, for when we were to move in after the wedding. Um, on top of this, my granddad sadly passed away um, a couple of days before the wedding, um, which was just truly heartbreaking um, for both me and my whole family. What was meant to be a really exciting time became quite stressful and very emotional and tiring. I'd go from being really excited and giddy about the wedding to being um, like quite emotional and then just breaking down in tears, missing my granddad and wishing that he could be there for the wedding. Um, this again was made more difficult with the pandemic that was going on. We still weren't sure how many guests we'd be allowed at the wedding, if we'd even be allowed the reception. Um, there were lots of questions around my granddad's funeral and when that would be and who would be able to attend that. Um, I was also, I also didn't know at this point if I'd actually passed my teacher training course and would then go on to get my job later on. Um, I'd say God usually um, typically blesses me with peace during really difficult times. That's always um, has been a distinct memory in my mind when I look back at difficult or challenging situations. Um, but this time it was a bit different. I definitely felt far away from being peaceful. Um, everything was so up in the air and nothing was definite. Um, but this is when God really reminded me that he is, that he's consistent and that he's my rock that I'm able to offload all of my stresses and my worries onto him. And yeah, they may not disappear or go away, but um, he's not going anywhere. That he can handle the chaos that's going on in my life. He can handle all of my tears, all of my anger. Um, and he doesn't just handle it, that he, he walks um, with us through all of that as well. Um, so during that week, one of the verses that I found myself repeating um, in the end was Psalm 18. I think I just got to the point where I didn't really know what to pray and my mind was just kind of all over the place. Um, and that was, um, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
Um, the day of the wedding, I was a bit nervous that I would just be completely drained <laughs> from the week that just happened. Um, I'm very emotional, obviously, about my granddad. Um, but on that day, God just really blessed me with an abundance of joy um, and energy. <laughs> um, so joy that I was able to marry Matt that day um, and have the day that we'd planned. Um, joy that I'd completed my PGCE. Um, and just that joy and comfort as well that my granddad had made it into heaven and was now with um, with God. Um, so after the wedding, I had a summer holiday um, to almost just reflect and process um, everything that had happened that week and as well as the past year. And I think that was definitely needed at this point. Um, I'm just so thankful for God for his control over my life um, and just keeping my eyes above above the waters. Thank you, Bethany. That was really helpful. Well, one of the things we're going to do at Dwell is to listen to God's Word together. And we're going to start tonight by diving into an amazing book in the Bible. It's not a massive book, but it's massively important. Uh, it's called Haggai, and we've called it Rebuild a Prophet's Diary. But before we get into Haggai, here's a very quick intro. The book of Haggai is effectively a diary written over four months and contains the prophetic words that God spoke through Haggai. Now we don't know much about Haggai himself, except that he's simply called the prophet. Because he dates his writing, we know he's writing around 520 BC, but to properly understand his words, we've got to go back just over two centuries to 722 BC. Just as the prophets back then had been warning the people for decades, the covenant, the agreement that God has made with Israel was broken and forgotten. And because of the people's broken promises, the promised land was no longer theirs. The king of Assyria wages war against the northern kingdom, which fell in 722 BC, and the people of the northern kingdom are carried off into exile and scattered as powerless slaves right across the Assyrian empire. The southern kingdom, Judah, being more faithful to their promises to God, keep the covenant and are spared this horror for now. However, over time things change. Judah too slips further and further away from God. Another global power, Babylon, has swept over the world and taken over the Assyrian Empire. They attack Judah, which falls in 587 BC. The temple. The symbol of God's presence among the people is burned to the ground and stands destroyed. And the people of Judah are also carried off into exile, where they also now live as slaves for the next 49 years. It looks to all the world, like so many other peoples before them, that Israel is gone. It's the darkest moment in their history to date. But God has not forgotten his people and he has a plan. Just as the prophets had promised, there's another power now on the global stage, Persia. Persia conquers the Babylonian Empire, and in 538 BC, its king Cyrus issues an edict allowing the Jewish people to return home. And over the course of the next two years, the exiles are finally returning home to Israel. Fast forward to 520 BC. It's been 16 years since the people have come home. King Darius now rules over Persia, and God begins to speak again. The Lord has a message for the people through the prophet Haggai.
Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on the people and livestock, on all the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. The last time I saw my grandmother alive was in hospital, the week before she died. And the very first thing I noticed about her, this might seem like a strange thing to say, but the very first thing I noticed about her was her hair. Uh, Grandma was one of those people, she was always immaculate. Uh, she could walk through a blizzard without a hair uh, out of place, you know, and in the right way she prided herself on her appearance. And seeing her there that day in her hospital bed, frail, kind of unkempt and a bit dishevelled, um, I knew something was wrong, you know, and people had been brushing her hair and, and trying to take care of her, there was no complaints there, but it wasn't, it wasn't how grandma would have done it. And I don't know if you can identify with this, but the fact that she was way beyond caring about what her hair looked like was a shock. It was a, a very real indicator that something was wrong. Something was, was, was very wrong. In life, we have these key indicators, don't we? And if people don't know us well, they might seem like silly things or, or small things. Uh, it happens in relationships, doesn't it? You know, things break down and it's not really about the date or the dinner or the dishes. And yet somehow it is about those things because those things reveal that passion has slipped or that something deep down is now different and, and has changed. 
As the prophet Haggai looked at the nation of Israel, he immediately saw that something was very, very wrong. Uh, he writes about it here in, in, in verse 2. He's straight into it uh, in, in this book. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has, time has not yet come. The, the, the word, the time that it's used in the Hebrew could be translated the right time. It's, it's not the right time to start rebuilding the temple. Now, the people had been in exile for 49 years. That's actually a significant number that we'll look at later in this series. But, you know, nearly, nearly 50 years they'd been out of the land. They'd now been allowed to return home in two waves over, over two years. And they'd been back home for 16 years. Uh, that's 16 years of, of peace in the land, uh, 16 years of, of, of personal building projects, getting their lives back together. You know, if now wasn't the right time to rebuild the temple, then, then it was never going to be the right time. It, it wasn't really about the temple, and yet it was all about the temple. The fact that there was no appetite to rebuild, there was no hunger, there was no urgency. These were symptoms that something deep down was different, that something was wrong. Something was very wrong. There'd been a passion leakage. You know, at one point in Israel's history, their song was better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And now there was just no hunger after 16 years. Just, just no hunger. There was, there was no vision. You know, their vision had been damaged and deteriorated uh, over the years. There was no plan uh, to, to put it back together and, and, and to meet with God. It wasn't about the temple, and yet it was all about the temple. There's something so spiritual sounding about this, isn't there? Um, it's not the right time. It's just not the, the season for that. And Haggai lays into them here, man. I mean, the language is, is, is so brutal. He says, is it time for you to be living in panelled houses? I mean, this was a, a, a luxury. Uh, these were extravagant houses that were being built. He says, you've, you've got time enough for those. Uh, and yet all the time you're, you're passing the Lord's house. That's what he calls it. It's such an emphatic phrase. It's, it's God's place. It's meant to symbolise God's presence in our nation is wrapped up so neatly and so tightly in the covenant you know God effectively says build it and I will come and having no plan no passion to rebuild it was tantamount to saying well we don't care if you come or not and Haggai says would, would you look at your lives is a, a phrase he uses here that he'll use four times in these two short chapters uh, of the book of Haggai give careful thought to your ways in the original language in, in the Hebrew this is a phrase that means to set your heart uh, or your attention on something he says would, would you just take a look would you just set your attention on your ways because something guys it, it is not right and he reels off a, a whole list of things here that aren't working. He said, you plant much. Uh, the truth is the investment is huge, but you harvest little. The, the return you get on all your work is, is so small. 
You're always eating, but never full. You're always drinking, but, but never satisfied. You're, you're dressing up. There's a, there's a wealth in the nation that they've not known before, and yet you can't keep warm. You're earning wages, and this is such a powerful image, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You're pouring your earnings into wallets that are just bleeding change. Haggai serves as almost like a wake-up call to say something is not right something is not working and if you just stop and look at it and admit it to yourselves you can see it it's not satisfying you you're not content you're not full if you know me you know i'm a huge u2 fan by far and away one of their most famous in fact it's one of the songs that gets voted consistently way up the list of the best songs ever written it is the song i still haven't found what i'm looking for and at the moment this is israel's song to a t I'm eating, but I'm not full. I'm drinking, but I'm not satisfied. I've, I've got a house that out in exile as a slave I, I could never have, have dreamed of. And yet it all just seems to be this treadmill that I'm on as soon as I've eaten, I want to eat again. As soon as I've earned, I need to earn again. It's, it's not working. It, it's not satisfying. If there's ever um, a picture of this in, in our day, uh, I think it's of those Amazon delivery boxes that have a smile uh, drawn on the side, the smile logo. I don't know if you've uh, seen this or, or had one. Uh, as if we could sort of mail order happiness to be delivered to our front door. And yet Amazon have got over 12 million products uh, on their, their website because they know that a smile won't last that long that it just doesn't satisfy that the joy is is deeper than than happiness uh, and we can keep pouring things into our lives and ordering things in and doing things and we can fill our lives with noise and people and activities and stuff but on the inside be just as empty i wonder if you've ever had a bit of a wake-up call like this you know, I've, um, I, I'm burning the candle at both ends, and yet I can't seem to make ends meet. I go from job to job to job to job, but I, I can't find my place. I, I'm just bleeding through relationships, but I can't find love. I've, I've tried every spiritual trick in the book, but I'm not at peace. I'm earning wages, but I'm just throwing them into a purse with holes in it. Haggai says to the people, just stop and look at it. Just wake up. It's a striking image, this pouring money into a purse with holes in it. It's like having a sieve for a soul. And the Hebrew word that's used there for holes is the word pierced. That this isn't just been damaged over time, this has been sabotaged. And it's, it's self-sabotage. That's what Haggai is, is bringing the people. Uh, you've self-sabotaged your lives. And this hole, this gap, he's really clear on what that is. In, in verse 9, he says, Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house in the rush to rebuild their lives their priorities are all off kilter 
and they've put themselves and their houses and their lives right at the very centre and because of that the rest is off balance. The word he uses there, busy, uh, literally means running. It's a picture of being hurried and he says that's what your lives are like, they're so hurried, they're so preoccupied, they're so distracted that there's no place for me, there's no centre where I can I can meet with you. I don't know if you enjoy watching the Olympics, I do, and I love the, the, the races, the sprints, uh, but it's always kind of heartbreaking to see sometimes the false start. You know, somebody who's been training for the Olympic Games for at least four years, sometimes more, uh, all that preparation, uh, all that anticipation, and if they go slightly before the gun, they're off, they're, they're disqualified. The good news of Haggai's message is even though the return home to Israel has been a 16-year false start, they're not disqualified they can start again from where they are. Yeah, the people respond well to this word, as, as unpopular as it was. You know, it certainly wasn't the consensus back in the day. Haggai's not alone. Uh, there are other prophets calling for this, Zechariah and, and Ezra uh, being prominent among them. But he is an unpopular voice in terms of the popular opinion of the day. And yet, it carries the authority of the word of God. It comes directly out of the heart of God and it stirs hearts. Hearts are awakened and priorities are, are shaken and hope is, is rebuilt even there and even now. You know, at the moment we're hearing these words a lot, aren't we? Uh, reset or relaunch or reboot. And after the disruption that we've felt in our lives through through COVID, there is a, a an eagerness now in many places to get things reopened and, 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 and restarted again. And I, I just wonder if there's a prophetic word here in, in Haggai's message for the, for the people of God and for us as a nation right now. Will you be tempted or tricked back onto the old treadmill? Or will you take a look at your lives and realize that you need me, God, right at the very center? That if we will put him first, if we will prioritize him first, that things can and will be shaped around that and find their, their rightful place around that. I'm always um, struck by Jesus' words to the church in, in Ephesus, as he writes to them in, in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand, oh, that's a picture of the church, from its place. To repent means to turn around. You, you can turn around, you can restart, but it, it begins here. Jesus calls them to consider how far they had fallen. Haggai puts it this way, consider your ways, give careful thoughts to your ways. 
it wasn't about the temple and yet it was about the temple it was about how their passion had leaked and how their vision had deteriorated but rebuilding was on the cards a restart was possible and i want us just to invite us now just to take a moment to consider our ways uh, to to think about where we are with jesus maybe there were things that we did at first that now we no longer do but it's not really about the things we did it's about the love with which we did them and the fact that we don't do them anymore, it, it is not as significant as the reason why we're not doing the things that we used to do. I wonder if we've told each other, uh, told ourselves and told each other, it's just not the season. I just, I just haven't got the time. And yet we find ourselves on that old treadmill of when God is, is pushed to the sidelines. Life is just unsatisfying. Life just doesn't work. I want to invite you just to sit with this for a moment and to invite the Holy Spirit right where you are, whenever you're, you're listening to this and wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is able to apply this to our lives. Are there holes? Are there, are there gaps? Is the place of God the center, the thing that you're building for him? Or have we become so invested in other things that he's been pushed way down the priority list and to the sidelines. And so we pray, search me God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, would you help us to put you first in all things. May you always have our first love. May you always take first place. And would you help us, Lord, as we reset, as we restart, to put you right at the very center of our passion, of our vision, of our lives. Lord, if there are things that we need to repent of, we repent of them now. If there are things that we need to return to, we return to them now. And if there are things that you're wanting to restart, would you rebuild us now, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.